0: Hello, and welcome to Right Now with Ralph Martin. From all of us here at Renewal Ministries, we wish you a blessed Holy Week. To help us enter more deeply into the mysteries of our salvation this week, we are re-presenting an episode from earlier this year, The Price of the Promise. In this episode, Ralph discusses the necessity of the cross and the mysterious way each of us is invited to participate in the sufferings of Christ. We hope this will be a blessing to you this week. Here is your host, Ralph Martin.
1: I just feel so grateful because all my searching for the truth more than 50 years ago when I was a university student didn't help me find it. Then one day on a retreat, my Father in Heaven revealed to me Jesus, and I'm eternally grateful It's the most important thing I ever learned, that Jesus is the one. It's the only thing, really, that I ever want to say, that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus died for our sins and rose for our justification. Is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the Lord. Uh, So I just feel like the Lord wants to kind of come into our garden. You know, he wants to kind of seep into the cracks of our soul. And the, the image that's coming to mind is from the liturgy about where the Holy Spirit comes down like dewfall. So I just want to encourage you to be still in, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, and, and just open yourselves to know that he's God, and open yourself for our Father in heaven to show us things that flesh and blood could never show us about who Jesus is. But I'm going to talk first about um, how we can walk in the Spirit. It's really because of the passion and death of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is able to be released into the world. It's because of the sacrifice of Christ that we can have the Holy Spirit, that we can walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us by the great deeds of Christ, you know, we talk about the charisma and it's sort of like jargon, and sometimes it's hard to understand exactly what we're talking about. But it's the humiliating, degrading torture that Jesus went through on the cross that allows us to have what we have today and to walk in the Spirit. And I'll try to explain this. How does the Holy Spirit come to others? through us, the more we participate in the sufferings of Christ, the more we are willing to let the cross do its work in our life and conform us to the form of Jesus who took the form of a slave, who emptied himself, who didn't cling to his dignity in loving service and loving sacrifice, for others, the more we participate in the suffering of Jesus, the more we will be able to be bearers of the Holy Spirit and givers of the Holy Spirit and servants of the Holy Spirit, the more we'll be able to walk in the Spirit. It's because of the cross that the resurrection then happened, that the ascension and Pentecost happened. And Pentecost hasn't come so we can forget the cross, Remember, when Jesus rose from the dead in his risen body, the marks of the cross were still in his risen body. And when the great worship going on in heaven is going on, they're worshiping the lamb that was slain. This is such a deed that was done by God that is forever celebrated, ever remembered, ever a source of life, ever a source of power, ever a source of love. The cross has to be woven into the deepest recesses of our lives and work its transformation into love. Oh, we've heard it so many times, unless the seed falls into the ground, it remains just a seed. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. It's hard for us to fall into the ground and die. We'll, we'll, we'll fight against falling into the ground and dying. But Jesus wants to invite us to participate in his own falling into the ground and dying. That's what Jesus did. He fell into the ground and died through the cross and through the burial. So when I talk about the cross tonight, I mean the actual manner of death that Jesus underwent for us and then our subsequent participation in it, beginning in baptism and ending in the beatific vision. One of the things we learn from looking at the way Jesus died is what was the problem that this had to happen? Why did something this extreme need to happen unless we were in extreme need? Cardinal Newman calls it, there was a primordial catastrophe that totally wrecked the human race. Yes, we're still created in the image of God, but we're wrecked inside in many, many different ways. And we're condemned to death. St. Paul, who ministered powerfully in the power of the Holy Spirit and did signs and wonders, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, why am I in peril every hour? I am dying every day. Paul said he hadn't arrived yet but he was pressing on and wanted to share in the cross of Jesus so he could share more and more in the risen power of Jesus. There's a link between sharing in the cross and sharing in the risen power. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a guy who was executed during World War II, a Protestant pastor said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now, Every one of us is going to die, right? So ready or not, here we come. (laughs) And in God's plan, the punishment for sin has not been taken away completely. We still have to die. That's what the punishment was. If you disobey God, you're going to die. So all of us are going to have to accept the punishment. But because Jesus was willing to do what he did, our death can be used by God as the final step of transformation. But the more we are transformed now, the better. That's what what John of the Cross said, it's much better to be purified now than to wait for later. The passion stories in the Gospels take up one-fourth to one-third of the total length of the four Gospels. The shocking deed of the crucifixion was something that the early Christian communities knew was the most spectacular thing that ever happened in the history of the human race. Who could have ever thought that God would become man, and not only that, but would submit himself to all the sin, all the judgment, all the curse, all the punishment that's rightfully due to sin. It was so extraordinary, so monumentally different that the culmination of the Messiah's mission would not be the triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, but the shocking betrayal, the false charges, the politically correct conviction, the most ignominious death, the degradation of all reserved for non-Romans, for criminals, the torture, the humiliation, the mockery, the gross injustice, the gross betrayal by his leaders, the abandonment by his friends. Remember what the... Men walking on the road to Emmaus said, we thought he was the one. How could he be the one, though? Stuff at such a death. We, we thought he was the one. They were disillusioned. They were disappointed. We thought he was the one. He is the one. But in a totally unexpected way. So radical, so different, so shocking that large parts of the gospel are devoted to betraying his passion. It looked like utter failure. It looked like the world had won. It looked like the devil had won. But the complete self-giving of the Messiah released the power into the world that will eventually cleanse it of all evil when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead with the marks of his crucifixion still in his body. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. This is a familiar text, but I want to bring your attention to one word. I'll tell you what it is. You don't have to guess. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Here's the word, therefore, God has highly exalted him. It was because of the stupendous act of love and self-giving, it was because of that, that God raised them from the dead. It was because of that that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was because of the cross that God highly exalted him. It was in the total self-emptying of Christ when He when He said, "It's finished, it's finished. I've done it, Father. I've done it. It's finished. I've obeyed to the death." That the possibility was open for us to be filled with all the fullness of God. God isn't a quantity. God isn't a substance like human substances. God is a spirit. And he wants to seep into the deepest recesses of our soul and surprise us by grace. He wants to free us from addictions and free us from compulsions and free us from idolatry and free us from protections that we built around ourselves so that we can give ourselves with Jesus as Jesus gave himself. God is not just a presence or a power. He's a trinity. And what he's redeeming us for is to enter into this most intense and powerful interpersonal relationships. You know all the struggles we have in our relationships, right? We, we have a hard time sometimes kind of getting it with each other, you know, and, and understanding each other and meeting each other's needs and loving each other. God's preparing us for an eternity of interpersonal love. We better get ready. We better want it. We better start practicing right now in all relationships. And the cross of relationship is one of the things that God uses to prepare us for that. Interpersonal eternal love is very challenging requires a profound conversion and purification in the very depths of our soul and body. Sin makes this kind of love impossible and must be destroyed, not just forgiven, but destroyed. Jesus was born to be crucified. The shadow of his death was there from the very beginning. His whole life was moving towards the cross, and he knew it. The shadow of our death is there also from our beginning. The penalty for the rebellion and disobedience of our first parents. One of the things that Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, said is that people don't think about death enough. People don't think about death enough. This is exactly what she said. God gave me the grace of knowing the world just enough to despise it and separate myself from it. I must admit, though, that this type of life had its charms for me, too. But the friends we had there at Elancon were too worldly. They, too know, they knew too well how to mix the joys of this earth to the service of God. They didn't think about death enough, and yet death had paid its visit to a great number of those whom I knew, the young, the rich, the happy. And I see that all is vanity and vexation of spirit under the sun, that the only good is to love God with all one's heart and to be poor in spirit here on earth. Perhaps Jesus wanted to show me the world before his first visit in order that I may choose freely the way I was to follow. Sometimes we've drifted along in our Christian life and haven't made a clear decision that by the grace of God we want to be obedient to the end. We want to follow Jesus to the end, to the death. Death and suffering are evils in themselves because of the death of Jesus. They now can become instruments in God's plan to prepare us for eternal glory. The very diminishment of aging and the final surrender of death are now means that God in his wisdom uses to prepare us for a return to the Father's house. What life is about is getting prepared to return to the Father's house, go back to paradise. The Father has sent Jesus to bring us back to paradise because that's where he wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be in this veil of tears. The veil of tears is temporary. It's a test. It's a purification God has sent Jesus to bring us back to paradise. And the only way anybody can ever get back to paradise is being joined to Jesus. Jesus is paradise, that's why. Jesus isn't a principle or a force or a power. Jesus is a person, and he says, Take my hand, and I'll take you there. I know it's a line from West Side Story. A few days after Jesus was born, his mother and father, you know, they called Joseph his foster father. I think it's stronger than that. I want to call him his adopted father. Joseph adopted Jesus. He wasn't just a temporary foster father, you know. He adopted Jesus. He took care of him as his son. They come into the temple, and Simeon blessed them and turned to Mary, his mother. Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising, of many in Israel. And for a sign that's spoken against, a sign of contradiction. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It was there from the beginning. He was going to be a sign of contradiction. He was going to be opposed. He's going to be the cause for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. This is serious business. Jesus is serious business. The Father sending Jesus to take us back to paradise is serious business. And it really matters whether people listen to him or not. It really matters whether people love him or not. It really matters whether people eat his body and drink his blood or not. It really matters if people take a hold of Jesus. Because Jesus is going to lift to heaven all those who have become part of his own body. In each of the four Gospels, and this is pretty extraordinary, there are three solemn warnings that Jesus gives his disciples about the coming passion and death. This was so shocking to Peter that Peter said, God forbid that anybody would kill you. And Jesus' answer to Peter, of course, is even more shocking. Get behind me, Satan. Don't keep me from the action that will save the world. Don't keep me from the action that will enable the doors of heaven to be opened again. Don't keep me from the action that will enable sins to be forgiven. Don't keep me from doing what I need to do so that human beings can be reconciled to God the Father. Yes, There was a shadow on Jesus from the very beginning. There was an icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. It was an icon that was found in I think the 1700s in Italy, it's become something that the redemptorist religious order has adopted as something they do. But what you see is Jesus in Mary's arms looking over his shoulder At angel's holding implements of the passion. The shadow of his death was there from the beginning. He knew that's where he was heading, that's where he wanted to go. In the cross, an amazing number of spiritual realities come to bear. On the cross, we see the utter wickedness and depravity of sin, we see what rebellion and disobedience looks like. We see each element of the torture, the humiliation, the shame, the mockery, the horror. He was probably naked on the cross, which makes it even more degrading and demeaning and humiliating. Crucifixion was designed to degrade human beings. It was a torture death. It was a public humiliation death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Remember who this is and see what they're doing to him. We're seeing sin lash out at goodness. We're seeing sin lash out at God. We're seeing the rebellion of the human race taking it out on God himself. It wasn't pretty. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is what it took for the promise of the Spirit to come to us. This was the price that was paid for the promise of the Spirit. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 talks about when you hang an executed criminal on trees, you do it to avert the wrath of God. The Dead Sea Scrolls associate crucifixion with the curse of Deuteronomy 20, chapter 21. Just recently we read in the Gospels, Jesus saying, you search the scriptures, but you refuse to come to me for life. And the scriptures are written about me. One of the most extraordinary things written about Jesus in the scriptures is a suffering servant. Passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord God opened my ear. I did not refuse. I did not turn away. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheek to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not hide from insults and spitting. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I'm not disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. He who declares my innocence is near. The resurrection is near. We need to set our face like flint towards our own death, towards our own complete emptying, to our own complete identification with the cross of Jesus Christ so that we may share in his resurrection. We need to make a decision. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross every day and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And That's pretty shocking. Jesus is saying, you're not worthy to be my disciple unless you take up your cross every day and follow me. You can't be my disciple without taking up your cross. Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be raised high and greatly exalted. Even as many were amazed at him, so marred were his features beyond that of mortals, his appearance beyond that of human beings. So shall he startle many nations. Kings shall stand speechless. For those who have not been told shall see. Those who have not heard shall ponder it. Who would have believed what we have heard? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a sapling before him, like a shoot from the parched earth. He had no majestic bearing to catch our eye, no beauty to draw us to him. He was spurned and avoided by men, a man of suffering, knowing pain, like one from whom you turn your face, spurned and we held him in no esteem. Yet it was our pain that he bore, our sufferings he endured. We thought of him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our sins, crushed for our iniquity, He bore the punishment that makes us whole. By his wounds, we were healed. We had all gone astray like sheep, all following our own way. But the Lord laid upon him the guilt of us all. Though harshly treated, he submitted and did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, a sheep silent before sharers. He did not open his mouth. Seized and condemned, he was taken away. Who would have thought any more of his destiny? For he's cut off from the land of the living. Struck for the sins of his people. He was given a grave among the wicked, a burial place with evil, though, as though he had done no wrong, nor was deceit found in his mouth. It was the Lord's will to crush him with pain by making his life as a reparation. He shall see his offspring, shall lengthen his days, and the Lord's will shall be accomplished through him. Because of his anguish, he shall see the light. Because of his knowledge, he shall be content. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. This reminds me, of something that one of the little children at Fatima said after they encountered the holiness of God through Mary, after they had seen the vision of hell, after they received tremendous contemplative graces and invitations to participate in the cross of Christ. Francisco and Jacinta. And this is what Francisco said before he died. I love seeing the angel... And I love seeing Our Lady even better. But what I like best of all was seeing our Lord in that light, which Our Lady put into our hearts. I love God so much, but he is so sad because of all the sins. We mustn't commit even the tiniest sin. Flesh and blood didn't show that to him. His Father revealed it. Our Lord put that light in his heart. Our Lady put that light into his heart. And it generated him a love for God. And he saw the sadness of God for the sins of the human race. And he resolved that we mustn't commit even the tiniest sin. On the cross, besides seeing the ugliness of sin... In the horror of sin, we see the unfathomable death of God's love and mercy. He didn't have to do this. As a man in his weak moments, he didn't want to. When he asked his father if the father could take away the cup, when he was sweating blood, anticipating the torture, anticipating the crushing, anticipating the humiliation, the rejection, the abandonment, the horror of it, and perhaps also the horror of seeing how, despite what he was doing, many would remain ungrateful. Many would remain separated. Many would not avail themselves of the gift of the Holy Spirit made possible in the forgiveness of sins. But he said, not my will, Father, but your will. We're going to come up against really tough things where we don't want to. We're going to come up against tough decisions and tough situations where doing the will of God is going to hurt. That's when we seek help from God the Father. We can ask him if there's another way. And if he says there isn't, we need to trust in his grace and mercy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9 says, I have come to do your will, O God. Hebrews chapter five, verses seven to 11. "In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications and loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. A mystery. He was perfect, he was out sin, but he was fully human. And in his humanity, there's a way in which things deepened in him through suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. He was tempted not to obey. He didn't want to obey as a man. He didn't want the passion. He didn't want the pain. He didn't want the torture. He didn't want the humiliation. But he came to do the Father's will. And he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This isn't cheap grace. No, is it? It isn't cheap grace. And it isn't enough to say, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. Although that's a good thing to do. We have to obey him, we have to do what he asks us to do. We have to love his word and treasure his word and form our life and our hearts and minds by his word and set our face like flint to obey the will of the Father. Then it goes on. About this we have much to say, which is hard to explain because you become dull of hearing. It is hard to explain. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me explain a little bit of it. It goes on to say, chapter six, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. And then he says, it's impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then commit apostasy, since they crucify the son of God on their own account and hold him up to contempt. Whoa. Not only can we participate in the redemptive suffering of Christ, but we can crucify him again by rejecting him, having tasted of the goodness of the Holy Spirit and the life of grace. So it's no little thing to fall away from the Lord. Now, repentance is possible, uh, but we should have a holy fear of the Lord, having tasted of the graces he's given us, that God the Father has shown us, that the Holy Spirit has poured on us. Don't receive the gifts of God in vain. Don't take them lightly. This is God pouring himself out into our souls, making us holy. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We're members of Christ's body. It's a serious thing to offend the Lord, just like Francisco said. For land which has drunk the rain that often falls upon it, it, brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is not just a weird passage from Hebrews. This is what John the Baptist prophesied about Jesus. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff's going to be thrown into the furnace. This is what Jesus said in those tremendously moving passages in John's Gospel at the Last Supper. The Father's pruning you. You've been made clean by the Word of God. You've been cleansed by the Word of God. But if you're going to bear fruit, the Father's going to prune you more. He's going to purify you more. He's going to join you even more to the suffering of Jesus, so you'll bear even more fruit. But if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. This is serious business. This is the Son of God. This is fire. Though we speak thus, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. This, this is the encouraging word. This is for you. <laughs> for God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love which you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to share the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end, so you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I'm going to say just a little bit now about our participation in the sacrifice of Jesus, which is both a privilege and a necessity. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And it doesn't mean by the body. If you live according to disordered desires, re- resistance, rebellion, self-seeking, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When we cry, Abba, Father, we we sing the song, Father, Good Father, it's the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But listen to this, and if children were heirs then, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Pentecost doesn't do away with suffering. Pentecost doesn't do away with the cross. Pentecost, rejoicing in our status in God, means embracing the purification and the suffering for the gospel and for love. That's necessary. Now, one of the most familiar passages that we know by heart and comes up in the gospel all the time where somebody asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, what's the first of all the commandments? Jesus said, the first is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. But do you realize what it would take? For this to be true in our lives, I mean, to love the Lord our God with all our mind and all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and our neighbor as ourselves. Wow! A lot of purification is needed, right? A lot of purification is needed. A lot of emptying is needed. A lot of suffering is needed. And this is all so that we can participate in the very nature of God. Do you know what it would take to participate in the nature of God? Oh, mighty transformation, mighty transformation. But you know what? Nobody's in heaven without that transformation. So embrace the cross now. The sooner the better, right? Yes. The suffering of denying our selfish desires, the suffering of resisting temptation, the suffering of resisting the devil, the suffering of resisting peer pressure, the suffering of resisting fitting into the wrong things and people and places, the suffering of making the necessary radical decisions that can cut like a sword, the suffering of obedience. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes your sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Radical decisions Jesus is asking us for. He's asking us to hate sin and to love virtue. He's he's asking us to hate sin and love virtue. And sin is not just individual sins. Sin in the New Testament is also a power. It's a power of the deep wound in our soul that the devil takes advantage of, us so it keeps us as slaves, and it can only be broken by not any effort on our part. It can only be broken by applying the cross of Christ to us. And it says that's what happens to us in baptism. We die with Christ in baptism. But that then is a lifelong process of yielding to that and growing in that. Matthew chapter 10, do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace. That's the sword for, but a sword for, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes will be those of his own household. God forbid, but yes, it happens. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Oh, Oh, Jesus is asking a lot, isn't he? Jesus is asking a lot. But he's saying you got to realize that everything, everything has to take its rightful place around me or it's going to not live. It's not going to live. It's not going to have life. And we can be attached to relationships in a way that blocks our proper adoration of God and our loyalty to God. And we know from church history that sometimes... We're betrayed by members of our own household. God forbid, but sometimes it happens. We can't love mother or father or son or daughter more than Jesus. We can't. We have to keep loving them even when they turn against us, even when they turn against Jesus. We have to never give up in praying and fasting for their salvation. But we can't be emotionally tied in a way to people that leads us away from first loyalty to Christ. Jesus says, he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Wisdom, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. The souls of the just are in the hands of God. For if before men indeed they be punished, yet is their hope full of immortality. Chastise a little. God disciplines those he loves, right? Right. Chastise a little, they shall be greatly blessed, because God tried them and found them worthy of himself. Brother, we have to let, and sisters, we have to let God try us so we're worthy of him. We have to let him purify us so that we can participate in divine life. As gold in the furnace, he proved them, and as sacrificial offerings, he took them to himself. We have to join Jesus as a sacrificial offering of adoration and obedience to God and love for our human, fellow human beings. We have to become the sacrifice that's offered at the Mass. God permits suffering to try us and purify us so that we may become sacrificial offerings ourselves. Philippians chapter three, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own is something God has to work in us based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the path to life in the spirit. That's the path to resurrection power. Salvation through faith doesn't do away with participation in the sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered for us indeed, and his suffering has infinite merit, which ours never has and never will. But he gives us the privilege and the necessity of sharing in his sufferings. Sharing in his mission means sharing in his suffering. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Nothing's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, but in the wisdom of God, he's giving us the opportunity to participate with Jesus in the salvation of the world by joining our sufferings to his suffering. This is primarily talking about the suffering that comes from following Jesus and serving Jesus, but also has been applied in the history of the church to all the sufferings that come our way. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man mature in Christ. For this I toil, striving with all the energy which he mightily inspires within me. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 13 to 16. Beloved, rejoice to the extent that you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice exultantly. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But whoever is made to suffer as a Christian should not be ashamed, but glorify God because of the name. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus if they could sit on his right and left hand? He said, Can you drink the chalice that I'm going to drink? He was talking about the chalice of suffering. They said, Of course we can. They ran for the hills, of course, as soon as the chalice came near. But they repented and came back. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the chalice that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, of course we can, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the chalice that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. The Eucharist. When Jesus said, do this in memory of me, he wasn't just talking about the sacrament He was talking about do what he did, that the sacrament brings present to us. The separation of the bread and wine, the separation of the consecrated wine, the consecrated bread, the body and blood of Christ is a sign of his death. In fact, Paul says every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. We're remembering the sacrifice in the Eucharist. We're remembering the crucifixion. We're remembering the self-giving of Jesus. And then we're offered the chalice. When we go up and we take the chalice, think of these words. Can you drink the chalice? When we drink the chalice, we're saying yes to going all the way with Jesus. We're saying yes to obeying the will of the Father. We're saying yes to bearing the suffering that the Lord permits in our life for the sake of our sanctification and for the salvation of souls. Divine mercy my wife, Anne, who's here, wakes up sometimes at night, just like we all do, and she felt like the Lord asked her to say the divine mercy chaplet whenever she wakes up at night for those who are dying. And I thought that was a good idea, so I'm doing it now, too. And I'm also adding it for souls in purgatory and for those tempted to suicide and those tempted to unchastity. Eternal Father, I offer to you the body and blood, soul and divinity, of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Let's say it together. Eternal Father, I offer to you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. And I'll end with this, Galatians chapter 5. Paul says... But I say, walk by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are plain, immorality, impurity, licentiousness idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit. That's not like partying. That's spreading spreading division, ungodly division, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not enter the kingdom of God. We're living in a tough time right now in the history of the church. There's a lot of blurring of the word of God. There's a lot of compromise with the world. There's a lot of trying to please people. There's a lot of trying to keep peace at every price. Jesus came to bring a sword. The sword is his word. And in this compromise situation we're in right now, We need to pay ever so careful attention to what Jesus himself says and what the Word of God says. Those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. There really is a heaven, and there really is a hell. And it really matters whether people pay attention to Jesus or not. It really matters whether people hear the Word of God or not. It really matters if we're willing to suffer to share the gospel with others, And to pray and fast for the salvation of souls. And it goes on. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. There's an amazing number of references to the crucifixion being applied to us. Paul says, I've been crucified to the world, and the world's been crucified to me. Here we talk about crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We can't walk by the Spirit unless we apply the cross of Christ to our disordered desires and the sin in our life. We, We can't. We can't share in the glory without sharing in the suffering. We have to embrace the cross and know it's God's wisdom to prepare us for paradise. Romans chapter 12. Finally, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I shared something from Francisco, and now I'd like to end by sharing something from St. Jacinta. First of all, Mary, when she appeared to the children said this to them, pray, pray very much. And we really, really need to take it seriously and realize what a blessing it is that we could pray and make sacrifices so the souls don't go to hell. Pray, pray very much and make sacrifices for sinners. For many souls go to hell because there are none to sacrifice themselves and to pray for them. We can sacrifice ourselves in evangelization. We can sacrifice ourselves in following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We can sacrifice ourselves in giving up lunches or desserts or alcohol or whatever for short times or long times for the salvation of souls. It is so meaningful that Mary is revealing to us that every single one of us, no matter what our circumstances are, can do something every day for the salvation of souls. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line, the salvation of souls. Saint Jacinta, seven years old, after she saw the vision of hell, not a day went by where she didn't ask her brother and her cousin, Francisco and Lucy, don't forget to make a sacrifice today for the salvation of souls. I so don't want people to go to hell. So, if we want to walk by the spirit, we need to walk with Jesus the same path he took. We need to allow Jesus to give us the strength and give us the grace to be really a close friend to him and not run away from his cross, but to accept it and to offer it for the salvation of souls and to thank him for the purification that's working in our life, preparing us for the journey home. So let's walk by the Spirit, but let's not forget to crucify the flesh. Amen.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. If you are enjoying this podcast, we invite you to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or review, following or subscribing to this podcast or sharing on social media. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.